0: Hello and welcome to this special emergency edition of Doomsday Watch. I'm Arthur Snell. On the night of Friday the 23rd of June, information started to emerge of Wagner boss Yevgeny Prigozhin falling out in spectacular fashion with both the Minister of Defence Sergei Shogu and increasingly with Russian President himself Vladimir Putin. In the following 12 hours, This seemed to escalate into a full-blown military coup, with Wagner troops taking Rostov-on-Don, a city inside Russia that is actually the headquarters of Russia's military operation in Ukraine. This is a rapidly evolving situation, but I thought it was worth speaking as quickly as we could get hold of him to Mike Martin, friend of the podcast, military expert, academic, and author of the fantastic book, How to Fight a War. So, what follows is an unedited version of my interview with Mike recorded on Saturday afternoon. Thanks for listening. So, Mike, let, let's just put a sort of timestamp on this. We're talking in the middle of the day on Saturday. Uh, at the moment, I think the latest we know is that the Wagner forces have taken control of Rostov, which is on the Russia, yeah. a Russian city, of course. Yeah. And then there's some debate that they might have taken hold of uh, Voronezh as well, which is further north, closer to Moscow.
1: Mm, mm. Um, About about halfway to Moscow.
0: Yeah. So let's take a step back. Um, For for those listeners who aren't familiar, what is Wagner? Who is this Prigozhin guy? Uh, So Prigozhin was actually Putin's chef
1: (laughs) originally. (laughs) and or catering manager or something yeah uh it's a bit like sodexo i suppose launching a coup (laughs) and um what he he then um and you know the way putin runs russia it's like a kind of medieval court right with people moving in and out of favor and whatever and so this guy fell in favor and was effectively given a license to operate a private military company uh, which or a mercenary group, depending on you know your perspective, and uh Wagner is the name of this group, and they spent a lot of time uh in Africa yeah. and mostly going after resources, and so they Mali, Central African Republic, uh Congo, you know, going after the gold. They've been involved in a couple of coups, they helped overthrow the Burkina so the government of Burkina Faso. Yeah. The government There's lots of them in Libya and um, doing oil smuggling. So they're kind of all over Africa, you know, yeah. weak states. They get in there, they cut a deal with the local government, provide military force for the local government, and then strip the resources out. Um then obviously Russia invaded Ukraine um February 22, and uh the Russian military was found pretty wanting. Um and so Putin brought in various other factions, one of which was the Chechens um, and uh, the Wagner group. Originally took on a fairly small role, but increasingly became associated with the town of Bakhmut, which I'm sure your listeners will have heard about over the last six months. The Russians, but predominantly Wagner, have been trying to take it and... um, Wagner became infamous for recruiting directly from Russian prisons. So, their professional cadre of mercenaries, who often were ex Russian military originally. There are still some of those around, a lot of them around, um, but um, increasingly they recruited convicts. Um, totally, totally brutal um, in Bakhmut. Um, yep. Had ten, tens of thousands of casualties. They didn't care uh, really about the convicts. And because of the way that the battle in Bakhmut played out, there were tensions. There were tensions between the Russian military and between Wagner, or between Prigozhin and Shoigu, who is the kind of chief of the general staff equivalent in Russia. And that has played out increasingly, you know, an increasing magnitude over the last three to six months. And now we get to this point where you know there've been all sorts of accusations, like the Russian military is not providing Wagner with enough shells and all this kind of stuff. And now we get to a point. Obviously, I'm skipping over this, lots and lots of stages in the story, but that's the broad picture. Yep. We get to a point where Prigozhin is saying the war is completely being mismanaged by the Russian military, and you know they need to do it his way, and uh, he. Took his forces out of uh, Donbass in eastern Ukraine and drove them across the border, and has started taking territory in Russia.
0: Yeah, so we've got here this this escalation of the the fallout between Shoigu, who runs the conventional military, and and Prigozhin, who, as you explained, was doing. Well, his his forces were doing most of the fighting in Bakhmut, which for a long time was Russia's kind of main effort in this war. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, over the months, as as you say, you know, Prigozhin would, would complain that the Russians weren't doing enough fighting. But as we know, Mike, you know, people, commanders on the front line are always complaining about the headquarters. Um, <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you launch an armed coup. So uh, something something clicked. Uh, which led to this massive escalation. Now, a possible um, possible reason for that might be uh, that Shoigu had this order that he gave out earlier in this month, basically mm. to sort of incorporate the Wagner troops under oh. under the MOD. Do you do you think that's do you think that's the key thing that that sort of flipped Prigozhin over?
1: Yeah, and, and the background to that is that Putin likes having all these competing power centers, right? Because You know, feudal court, if you've got the military, Prigozhin, the Chechens, the intelligence services, if they're all arguing with each other, they're not able to plot and arrange for a coup to kick Putin out. Right. So that's the kind of background to that. And then uh, Prigozhin was very well aware of this and used his position to not only attack the Russian military, but also to kind of attack Putin. Right. He's been on a bit of a power trip. And criticized Putin's handling of the war. And it got to a point where clearly Putin decided that this has gone too far now. We need to crush this particular acolyte. Yes. And then yeah, issued the order that all, you know, military forces of whatever flavour come under the control of the Russian military, which is what as you'd expect, should be how obviously you Uh, run a country but one of the definitions of a country isn't you know it has a government that has a monopoly on violence right as soon as you lose that monopoly of violence your country is in a very 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 precarious position and that's exactly what we're seeing here so yeah they ordered uh Wagner to come under the russian military and he basically refused and now we're seeing um what what we're seeing and yeah you know Again, we, we don't know this for sure, but all of these reports of Wagner saying, oh, we weren't getting ammunition from the Russian military. Potentially, he was stockpiling that all in preparation for this particular moment.
0: Yeah. So that's that's a really interesting point to consider, because uh, the impression and, and we're talking about something that's unfolded only since last night. So, we're you know, we're, we're basically about 12 hours into this or just over 15 Um but the impression that one has is that uh although Prigozhin gives off this sort of vibe of being this incredibly kind of inflammable guy who will, who will fly off the handle and you know start start some crazy plan at the drop of a hat, uh mm-hmm. it looks as though there was a bit of a plan here. I mean, you know, the Wagner, the Wagner troops uh were quite quickly found themselves uh in Rostov. Um Mm -hmm. Voronezh is a long way off. So do do you think...
1: Except that, that, the one thing I will say is if you're driving straight from Rostov to Voronezh, it's quite a long Mm -hmm. way. But if you're just coming from Russian-held Ukrainian territory, it's not that far. So we don't know whether it's the same force that came from Rostov or whether that was a separate Wagner force that went up to Voronezh.
0: Right. That's a good point. Because these are basically towns tracking along Ukraine's eastern border inside Russia.
1: Heading up to Moscow, Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so um, there were there's various extraordinary social media posts have emerged. You've got one of uh, Prigozhin in in a kind of look what looks like a fairly relaxed chat with very very senior Russian military officials down in Rostov, including um, in, in and, the headquarters. Right, so Rostov. Yeah. But, you yeah. Know, sorry to interrupt,
1: but the yeah. importance of Rostov is is the headquarters. Yeah. Of Russia's southern military district, right? So it's like taking over Rawalpindi Pindi or something, or Salisbury Plain in the UK. Yes, uh, and and they were having that chat in the headquarters.
0: Yeah. So that what's interesting there is that clearly uh, that they didn't contest the arrival of of Wagner's forces or or its commander, mm-hmm. um, and there's some suggestion that some of the military are quite sort of on side with Barbara. What What's your best understanding yes. of that?
1: Well, okay, so with all the obvious caveats, mm. um, I, I would say that... Um, so when the coup happened, coup, whatever, attempted coup, all of the senior Russian generals were trotted out quite quickly to do videos saying, uh, you know, prigozhin's a terrorist, step down, but also very clearly saying... To those members of the military who are being led astray, you know, make sure that you don't, uh, you know, don't side with the terrorists. Remember, this is about sovereignty and, you know, the country and independence, all that kind of patriotic stuff. Right. Yeah. And there's simply no way that Wagner would have been able to take over Rostov and so on and so on without one of two things happening, either the Russian military standing aside or some, Russian units are siding with Prigozhin and I think that you know the Wagner force is not big enough to take over the whole of Russia exactly certainly it certainly is if it becomes a snowball and Russian units start flipping and you know obviously the background to that is a 15-month war in Ukraine where the Russian military has been used as cannon fodder incredibly low morale what we might be seeing is bits of the Russian military mutinying and allying themselves with Pogosin, which means that he doesn't really have to fight.
0: No, he, and he just so a roll up. Yeah, it, it's just a drive, drive on the road. I guess something that is, one would want to try to understand is is what is his objective? Because right at the beginning uh, yesterday, uh, the impression you had was that. He was, he was not criticizing Putin. He was criticizing Shoigu. He was criticizing the, the Ministry of Defense. But since mm. Putin made his speech, Prigozhin's mm. come back pretty punchy against Putin himself. Um, so is, it, do you think he's trying to take over the country?
1: Well, I, I don't think he has a choice. So basically, he came, you know, he starts out criticizing Shoigu and, and the military, and particularly criticizing their handling of the Ukraine war, right? Yes. This yes. stems from disagreements about, what well, supposed disagreements about how to conduct the war in Ukraine, which has been a disaster for Russia. Um, but it, as soon as he effectively launched an insurrection on Russian territory, Putin, the rest of the Russian state, had no choice. This is why all the generals trotted out. They realized what side their bread was buttered on. Um, Brugosian knows that he's enemy number one. If they can kill him, they'll kill him. So he now has no choice but to dismantle the Russian state or to take on the whole, you know, replace Putin with someone else. Because if he doesn't, he's a he's a marked man. He's dead. So it's one of the two of them now. Unfortunately, the whole well, you know, it's basically snowballed um, and become a situation where either Prigozhin is killed and you know the Wagner guys are mopped up, um, or or Putin leaves. And there's all sorts of rumours about Putin, whether he's tried to fly away and whether he's tried to sort of, uh, you know, whether he's even fully in command situation. It's really hard to tell. We don't know. But it's, yeah. it's kind of either or now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a couple of small uh, indicators, which, you know, we, we shouldn't overinterpret. That that as, as we record this, Putin's plane is flying from Moscow to St. Petersburg. But of course, we don't know if Putin mm. is on that plane. And similarly... Mm. The plane of Alexander Lukashenko, the dictator of Belarus, left Belarus uh, uh, in the small hours of this morning. But again, we don't know who's on board. Apparently,
1: Um, Putin's plane tried to fly to Kazakhstan and was turned around by the Kazakh air traffic control. But then who knows if that's true?
0: Fascinating. Um, uh, One of the things you mentioned, those uh, uh, sort of video messages from the generals, um, mm-hmm. as you will have noticed, they looked a bit like hostage videos and all the generals mm-hmm. were clearly mm-hmm. in exactly the same room, which suggests mm-hmm. that someone ordered them all to show up and make a video right now. Again, yep. um, a sign of a, of a regime in panic.
1: I think that's true. And, you know, one of them, the general was holding a you know an AK-47 on his knee. Mm-hmm. These are not the actions of a quote-unquote superpower. Where you have a fairly dishevelled-looking senior military person standing there with an automatic rifle, or sitting there with an automatic rifle on their, their knee. I mean, yeah. And w- one wonders whether, um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, one wonders who's in control. Who knows? We're not going to know, are we, until it's no. until it's all until it's all panned out, and then we can look back at it. Even then, it will be very opaque.
0: Yeah. So I guess there's a, a couple of things. It Clearly. Um, you know, Prigozhin claims he's got twenty-five thousand uh, fighters, but given that the amount of attrition in Bakhmut, given all the other factors, it is it is probably not a number like that. As you've said, the risk to Russia, to 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 Putin, to the regime, is that uh, Prigozhin might be able to flip. Um, flip uh, Mm. other elements of the Russian armed forces. But if he can't do that, it wouldn't be that hard, would it, for the Russian military just to destroy them, you know, a few airstrikes, something like that? Well, I think... So, yeah, yeah, it's
1: uh, Russian mathematics, right? Russians are very good at maths, except when it comes to military matters and casualty (laughs) figures. And I, I think there's a couple of things. Firstly, that a lot of Russia's heavy equipment is in Ukraine. So, you know, we've seen reports of the Wagner Group operating with, well, they're moving tanks and, you know, armoured personnel carriers and stuff. And there's a limit to how many of those types of vehicles um, Russia has that aren't deployed in Ukraine. Um, you know, the, the whole of the Russian stockpile has been utilised and and turned into a pipeline to feed into Ukraine. So I think that's the first point. Uh, The second point is um, using airstrikes on your own territory is, uh, well, if we see that, then we definitely know that the regime is panicking. I mean, there have been reports, haven't there, of a helicopter a Russian military helicopter that tried to attack a Wagner column and was shot down by the Wagnerites. Um so yeah, that's interesting. But I think the other point is the the flipping units is is worth times two because if you take a hundred men that move across into your column, the enemy has a hundred less and you have a hundred more. And those things tend to snowball. O- only, you know, once panic sets in. Once people think that, you know, if you're in the Russian military and you think that other Russian soldiers are mutinying, you want to be on the right side of that. You don't want to be on the wrong side of that. So these things have a habit of tending to snowball. And, you know, already there's reports of the Russians preparing for demolition, the bridges that come into Russia from the south. Um, These are not the actions of a, you know, a government that's in control.
0: I want to talk a little bit about Rostov. Uh, as you say, it was the, it is the command center for Russia's war in Ukraine, and by definition, then the most important command center for for the Russian military right now. Uh, but it is also, is it not, a place where all kinds of strategic assets are managed, including uh, tactical nuclear weapons, uh, obviously air, air assets, and so on. Which we. We've talked in the past about the risk, you know, if if Putin feels cornered, if Russia feels it's on the ropes, uh, might it do something um, dramatic? Uh, so we are surely at that point now.
1: Uh, so, I again, I, still, I don't think that's a big risk. Like, where is the Russian military? You know, Putin can't just decide to use nuclear weapons, right? There's obviously other people who have to be involved in... You know, turning the key, issuing the orders, whatever. Like all nuclear weapons have systems built around them. It's not like Putin has a mobile phone and he can just, you know, (laughs) sign it
0: up. It's not on an app. (laughs) Anna, can you imagine?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Nukemyneighbor.com. Um so. You know, then the question is: So the Russian military, which clearly at a senior level, and those senior levels are going to be involved in the control of nuclear weapons, would they release nuclear weapons at this point? Against whom? Like, it's not clear who they would target. Like, the, the Wagner Group are on Russian territory. Like, it, it's it, that to me does not seem like the greatest risk. I think there is a risk around nuclear weapons, but it's not that one. And the risk that I think there is around nuclear weapons is. Uh, not only are uh, uh, nuclear weapons, well, uh, nuclear weapons are controlled out of Rostov, right? Tactical yes. weapons. But I'm assuming that there are also some nuclear weapons in the southern military district of Russia. Yes. Um, because, firstly, you know, all nuclear powers disperse their nuclear weapons all over the place because it makes it, means that they can guarantee a second strike. But, secondly, if you look where the southern military district is, it's, it's one of the nearest bits of Russia that can get towards where NATO is, right? So if you launch yes. weapons from there, they have a short flight time, right? So, yes. so million quid to a brass farthing, there will be nuclear weapons in that area. So then yeah. the concern becomes, who owns those nuclear weapons, right? And yeah. Russia has a huge number of nuclear weapons, well over 5,000. And it, either the Wagner group gets control of them, in which case they become valuable things to sell or trade or all those sorts of things, or just in the general lawlessness, somebody else takes advantage of them uh, and, you know, yonks them and then sells them to someone else. And this, I I don't know what the American government's doing, but I would imagine that this is the thing that they're focusing on. They're focusing on regime stability right at the top, and they're focusing on trying to track as many nuclear weapons as possible, and 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 keep track of them and make sure that they don't go walkabouts. And that's that for me is the real danger here is the disintegration of Russia or the loss of the monopoly of violence, leading to a splintering of kind of nuclear command and control, which means that some of these things just end up in random places.
0: Yeah. And of course that takes us back to with those with longer memories to the the end of the Soviet Union and and the same fear that <clears throat> particularly some of Russia's smaller nuclear weapons could mm. fall into the hands of of sort of terrorist or, or fringe players or whatever. And and it was yeah. even a sort of it was almost a sort of popular culture meme. You know, movies would be made about about Russian mm. nuclear bombs going astray. And and you know happily yeah. that, that didn't turn out to be a thing, but but here we are sort of back in that place. Um I think we we ought to talk a bit about Ukraine because obviously this is all mm. because of Russia invading mm. Ukraine. Mm. Um in general, what is bad for Russia right now is good for Ukraine. Do, do, do you think this seriously changes what the Ukrainians will try to do with their counteroffensive?
1: So I think that um, these events effectively are the beginning of the end of the war in Ukraine. Um, there's uh, the, the Russian military was already failing to win the war. Um it's now impossible with the regime imploding. Even if Putin manages to get the upper hand and eliminate Prigozhin, um, he's mortally wounded now. It's just yeah. a matter of time, right? Putin will not be the president of Russia in six months' time. And um, I have to say, you know, this war—I think we've probably spoken about this before on Doomsday mm. After. Like, yeah. this war was always going to end with a coup in Moscow. And it was never going to end with the Ukrainians mopping up every single last Russian no. in 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 you know on Ukrainian territory, and so the I think the Ukrainians realised that very early <laughs> on, and they have been trying to uh, use their military force in Ukraine against the Russians to create the conditions for that coup, and so they've been well aware. for I have to say. Mm. The, the fact that there is this argument between the Russian military and Bogosian, uh wasn't created by the Ukrainians, but it was certainly exacerbated by them. They realized very early on that that was there. And they have been playing the two of them off against each other in military terms. But also, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of stuff on the dark side that we don't know about in terms of misinformation fed from one to the other. We know that Prigozhin was talking to the Ukrainians a few months ago. There's all sorts of dark arts been going on as well as, you know, operational arts to force those two military formations, the Russian military and Wagner, to compete, all deliberately done to to create instability within the Russian regime. And that's exactly what we're seeing now. And so, you know, when 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 Ukraine held on to Bakhmut all that time and everyone was lots of lots of people say, oh well, this is a stupid thing. They're losing all these people for nothing. It had two strategic effects, the Ukrainian attritional defense in Bakhmut. Firstly, it tied up the Russian forces there. And as you said, it was their main effort for months, which enabled them to build up this counteroffensive force, which they're using now. And secondly, it's clearly exacerbated the divides between Wagner and the Russian military. And once Wagner had taken Bakhmut, they then pulled out and the Russian military backfilled. And the Ukrainians were able to push the Russians back. So it created this narrative that Wagner had lost, uh, sorry, taken Bakhmut at great cost. And the Russian military was losing it again to the Ukrainians. So all of these things were deliberately designed to drive a wedge between the two of them. And now that the coup is happening, not only have a bunch of Wagner forces left eastern Ukraine. So just in terms of very simple terms, there are less. Russian forces in eastern Ukraine. Yeah. But also, there's complete disarray and no one knows who, who's on what side. And the Wagner are firing on the Russians, the Russians are firing on the Wagner. So, we've got, we're having very early reports that the Ukrainians are having a massive push around Bakhmut and in the east to take advantage of all this chaos.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was going to be my question, but you sort of answered it there is that the tactical, immediate tactical opportunity for the, for the Ukrainians is, is to push. They were already there, but to push more in Bakhmut, where there's knowing that there's chaos there behind, in front of them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But that's not the big picture. The big picture is whoever gets it, you know, that
1: this war will not continue because Russia will be unable to continue it. Like the Russian state is splintering in front of our eyes.
0: Yeah, I again, we we can only speculate, but um, as we both know, the Ukrainians have been very active in. Uh, sabotage and other kinds of operations to try to undermine uh the the sort of Russian picture um mm-hmm. that things blow up in Russia now and then uh you know Bridges gr- Bridges collapse uh, fuel depots catch mm-hmm. on fire at the heart mm-hmm. of that maybe this guy general bodanov who's the the Ukrainian head of their their military intelligence he's only 37 years old but appears mm-hmm. to be the sort of the 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 spider in the middle of the web pulling a lot of these um, pulling all these strings I think I've mixed the metaphor there never mind um, <laughs> so, so should should we expect I mean because if I I would have thought that now would be the time to sort of hit hit go on all kinds of planned other operations just to sort of um, make Russia panic all the more because there's just sort of mad things going on everywhere
1: yes to a point. I think you need to be careful because you, I, th- I think this phrase is attributed to Napoleon. You never want to interrupt your enemy when they're making a mistake. Yes. And what what's happening now is the culmination of quite a long operation by the Ukrainians, both physical and intelligence. And, Actually, I'm not. I think probably what I would do if I were the Ukrainians is I would just take advantage of the confusion to just take back as much territory in Ukraine as possible. Yeah. Um, and maybe to do something decisive, like get through to the Sea of Azov. Like, if any, if there was ever a time to deploy, as we know, they've held back a lot of the force that they've got. If yes. there was ever a time to push, go on that and try and get through to the Sea of Azov, it's now. They've spent the last week. Um, uh, blowing up. I, I'd actually written a note in my calendar last night. I was going to um, do some research and try and have a look at um, what the Ukrainians have been doing to Russian logistics in the south of the Ukraine. Because I spent the last week, you know, I was only saying oh, they're not making much progress. They spent the last week blowing up bridges and basically yeah. killing all the Ukrainian logistics in the south. So it seemed like the counteroffensive was going to get going anyway, or enter phase two, or whatever. Right? Yeah. Uh, step up a gear and it seems that now the time to do that is times 10 just yes. kick off with everything and try and drive through in that total panic of what's going on like now's the time to do that and just keep it just 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 focus on um uh, gains and territory within ukraine
0: So there'll be there'll be lots of time uh, when when the, the obituaries are being written to to talk about the mistakes made. But I suppose you could argue that having having Wagner Group as a sort of useful mercenary unit operating in Africa, stealing resources, carrying out uh, human rights violations, that was always quite helpful. But once you let them be a ground force in your absolutely key war uh, in Ukraine, that was when it became a threat to, to the Russian state. And as you say, it di- diluted that monopoly of violence. So was it basic desperation, do you think? Or was it something about the weird system of, of sort of corruption and interest that swirls around Putin that led him to make what is now looking like a bad mistake?
1: Um, I, I think, it, you know, Putin's kind of overconfident. Um, which you know wouldn't have gone into Ukraine if he weren't, and yeah. I suspect that he thought that he could probably control all of these forces. But the reality is, you know, this is basic one hundred and one on how to run a country. The minute that you allow an armed force to grow up outside of your control, that's it. There's the the writing's on the rule Um. And, and that's what's happened here. And so uh, there's two options. Either he kind of hubristically thought he could get away with it, or he really had no choice. The Russian military was in such a state that they needed, and it was in a, was in a state, and they needed Wagner to come in and, and do stuff in Ukraine. But yeah. I think what's happened is it's is, is been, been, you know, initially the Wagner footprint in Ukraine was small. And it's grown and grown and grown. And the big growth came when, because originally it was just professional mercenaries, right? Mostly right. ex-Russian military. And they uh, were just doing specialist tasks. And and yeah. now, and the big change came when they started having all these manpower difficulties across the Russian military. Yeah. And they allowed Wagner to recruit from prisons. And I mean, if you just couldn't write this, could you? You, you create and allow a force to be armed, paid for out of your oil revenues, but not under your direct control. And they are literally people that you've previously locked up and now yes. you're arming them and they're outside of your direct control. And then, surprise, surprise, they turn around and try and take over the state. I mean, it, you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, yes. Who Who would have, who knew that having a, armed uh, group of angry former convicts ranging around was going to be a problem um i so i suppose you know just in in the final moments um clearly everything's happening very quickly in real time what what yeah. what should we we be watching out for is it putin running away is it um evidence of russian units flipping over is it uh, a, a big ukrainian advance or is it all of those things or something i haven't mentioned
1: uh, I think in strategic terms, Ukrainian advances on the ground are probably less significant than what happens in Russia because ultimately, you know, all of those Russian units in Ukraine are commanded from Moscow. So um, that's that's the big picture. So, but you know, obviously the Ukrainians are going to push and they're going to take as much territory as possible because that just makes their lives easier when, you know, the war eventually gets wound up. Um, I think the big thing to look out for is um when we have actual proof whereas at the moment we have supposition actual yeah. proof of russian military units um going over to pogajian yes um, and once we have that almost at the same time i'm sure we will have actual proof of putin
0: um leaving the country we'll keep our eyes open for that uh, Mike thank you so much for finding time to join us today thanks Arthur thank you for joining me on that special emergency podcast recording with Mike Martin your support helps us make Doomsday Watch possible so look us up on Patreon or you can via Apple Podcasts become a supporter of all of Podmaster's brilliant audio output We'll keep doing these as things unfold, so join us again soon. That's me signing off. Have a great weekend.